Well, <clears throat> hello again, everyone. Good to be with you. Give, me, give us one brief moment here. Awesome. All right. Thanks. My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is good to be with you here tonight. If you're joining us at home, it's good to be worshiping with you. Even when you're not physically here, we're still, we're still excited to be worshiping with you. So thanks for joining with us. Um, and today we get to participate in communion as well. Thank you. Um, which is just awesome. It's a good day indeed. We're going to continue in our time together. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Uh, and we're going to get there in a brief moment. But before we do, I wanted to just pause and start us off with some prayer. So join with me in a, in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you as we've been singing to you, King Jesus. We thank you first and foremost for the gift of salvation. Thank you for what you have done for us. We don't deserve it. You did it for us, and it's amazing. We thank you for that, Jesus. Now, as we continue in our time, as we've been worshiping with you through some prayer, through song, where we're going to continue now looking at your written word that you've breathed for us, may you ready our hearts for what you have for us. May you anoint the words out of my mouth, the things that are not of you. May you wash away the things that are of you. May you allow to stand forth, Lord, for your people, that you would be glorified and be made more known. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us um, recently, you, you know that we're, we're in this series, our Philippians series, and we're going to be continuing, to, to continuing in that for the next few weeks. Um, it's one of the letters uh, from the Holy Spirit penned by the hand of Paul. It's found in the New Testament. Uh, if you don't know where it is, it's, you know, it can be hard to find. There's a little device my, my brother taught me many, many years ago. Go eat popcorn. Uh, go Galatians, eat Ephesians, pop, Philippians, corn, Colossians. Okay, thanks. I'm getting some laughter. Like, wow, that's it. Every time I open my Bible, I, I literally say, go eat popcorn. I'm like, ah, there it is. Perfect. And if you remember, two weeks ago, Trent kicked off our series. He did an overview series. He, um, it was just kind of give us an overview of the book, a roadmap, if you will, telling us a little bit about the, the history, what's behind this book, uh, what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Um, and, and for one of his points, um, in particular, Trent used our text today. He used verses 12 through 18. Uh, I remember I was sitting back there Thursday night, hanging out back there, listening. I, I was just listening to Trent. He's going through. He's like, all right, let's read these verses. He starts reading 12, 13, 14, and he paused, and he kind of gave us some points. He ex you know, expanded the text a little bit, just helped us see what's going on. I'm like, all right, this is good. But then he continued reading, and he went all the way through verse 18. And I was sitting back there, and I was like, brother, what are you doing, man? This is my text. There's not enough meat on the bone. What are, you're killing me. And as I'm finishing this thought, this is, this is a true story. As I'm finishing this thought, focused on myself, uh, Trent finished reading scripture with only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. <laughs> I just start, thank you for that amen. Uh, it was just a very convicting moment for me. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, as long as Christ is proclaimed, that's all that matters. I was like, ooh, Yeah. Right. That is what matters. 
That is what is most important. Christ being proclaimed was a very convicting moment for me. And it draws out the point that we have in our text today. Today, we're going to see as we're looking at this, that we are called to live all of life for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. This comes literally like right out of the text. Um, So let's take a look at that now. So again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'll be reading it for us. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, or some of you might have rivalry again, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We are called to live all of life for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Um, taking that exact, right out of the text, from verse 12, Paul says, what has happened to me is served to advance the gospel. It's really, in this section, it's like the main point. If you're looking at the text and everything falls out of this, like how is the, how is the gospel advanced? And he's like, well, let me tell you. It was Paul's mission throughout his life. It was really what he was solely focused on in every aspect of his life, this is what he was focused on. And, and as we look at these verses, we'll see that this is really the call for us as well, as followers of Christ. This should be our mission as well. And of course, the gospel message is completely wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he has done. When we ponder that, it really ought to shape the way we live our life. Perhaps, though, in our distracted lives, we don't do this enough. We don't really take time to ponder who is Jesus and what has he done to really reflect upon that. So to help us, I want to just take a moment and just do just a couple of verses for you. We'll have them for you here on the screen. I'm going to just, I'm just going to go through them. I just want you to hear these verses that just proclaim Christ. We'll start with Hebrews 1 verses 3 and 4. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Or Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. For John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians 1, 15, and then 19 and 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
later in Philippians in chapter two, verses 10 and 11, we're gonna see it says, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is who Jesus is. And that is what he has done. And that is why Paul made it his life's mission to see Jesus glorified in every situation, in every circumstance. He was in awe of who Jesus is, and we should be too. When we look at this text, there's a level of awe that we should have, both that surprises us and maybe even draws us in as the partnership with Paul in the gospel advancement. So again, Paul demonstrates us this the importance of living all of life for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. He uses three couplets is what we're going to use here to kind of shorten the text a little bit. The first is through his witness and example. The second is through encouragement and partnership. And the third is through rivalry and conceit. So let's get started with the first one, through his witness and example. Paul's imprisonment or his chains is mentioned four times in the first 18 verses. And of those four times, three of those occurrences happen in 12 through 18. So clearly Paul wants us and the readers in Philippi to remember where he is, what his situation is, what his present circumstance is. And why was Paul put in chains? He tells us it's because he's proclaiming the gospel. So they lock him up. They put him in prison because they want to shut him down. They want to shut this message down but it has the exact opposite effect of what they had hoped. Rather than shutting down his ministry, instead, it actually has served to advance the gospel, Paul tells us. This is his singular focus in life, evangelism, the good news of Jesus for everyone, the message of a savior redeeming sinners, and he proclaimed that in every situation that he was in. I love here what what Pastor Matt Chandler said. I was at a conference and he spoke, um, and, he, and this was many years ago. And he said something effective, like he said, the guy was untouchable. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but he, he said something to the tune of, uh, you know, Paul, Paul's like, you want to put me in prison? I'll convert the guards. Dig a shipwreck will stop me? I'll perform miracles that testify to who Jesus is. Send me to Rome, I'll share the message with Caesar's household. Imprison me, and I'll spur on others to share the gospel. Beat me, and I'll count it as gain for suffering as Christ did. Kill me, and I will rejoice to be in the presence of Jesus. You could not touch Paul. You can't cut in on his focus in life. He lives for the advancement of the gospel. In this text, it says that everyone that has come in contact with Paul has heard about the gospel message. Everyone. It says the guards in verse 13 then there's this phrase, all the rest. So the, all the imperial guards, they, they hear about this. Those that are physically there are hearing it, and those that are hearing it are now going to tell others. I think one commentator said there's like over 9,000 guards. Like it's just, it's spreading. They're just possibly spreading it amongst themselves even because of Paul. All those who came in contact with him, all the rest. So these would be like servants, the mailman dropping off the mail. Paul's just like, let me tell you about the gospel while you're here. The believers in Rome... As mentioned in verse 14, and, and all the way at the end of the book, in his salutation, it's just like kind of like a little kind of throwaway line. It says, all those in Caesar's household greet you as well. Nothing will stop Paul from ministry, from sharing the gospel. Nothing will stop his witness. He's painting a picture for those in Rome, and he's also for, for them to see. Like they're in Rome, and he's there, and they're seeing what he's doing. And also back in Philippi, through this letter, they're hearing about it. 
No matter the circumstance you're in, keep advancing the gospel. Don't let suffering stop you from proclaiming the gospel message. And through Paul's witness and his example, not only is the gospel advancing, but they're doing it. This says the believers are like, they're emboldened. Fear has been removed. He tells us that the believers in Rome see his example and hear about his witnessings, and it just emboldens them to do likewise. And without fear, it says as well. That is powerful. And Paul has this utmost trust in God. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, right? This phrase there, he's really saying like, God has allowed this situation and I want to let you know it has advanced the gospel. He trusts that God has allowed this prison situation to happen and is using it for his good and God's sovereignty. He's allowed Paul to end up in Rome to spread the gospel message in this particular manner. Now, I know that's probably not shocking. This is... This is like amazing. God uses Paul and his situation to advance the gospel to a new group of people that otherwise would never have heard about the gospel. Who else has access to the imperial guard? Paul. And through his sharing the gospel, word is getting out and spreading such that all the guards have heard this. Anyone who's come in contact has heard this. God is on the move, people. And no change, no imprisonment, no situation is going to stop God from fulfilling his will for his people. Nothing can stop God. And as Paul does this, he sets this example for others to follow. Look at my circumstance. Look at how God is at work. Look how I am responding to God's leading, all because Paul was imprisoned or or put in chains, if you will. So as we look at Paul's witness and example, it should really force us to ask, what do we allow to hinder us in advancing the gospel? What is our singular focus in life? How often do we actually respond as Paul does and say, God, this is not what I had planned, but clearly it's what you have. How do you want to use this to advance the gospel? I had my appendix out about a month ago, September 2nd. It was an unplanned thing. Um, don't recommend it to anybody. Um, as I was sitting in the ER, I'm like, this, one of the doctors came around. He's telling me so-and-so is going to do the surgery. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, is, is he good? <laughs> like, I want, a, I want a good surgeon. And he's like, ah, oh, listen, man, this is a routine surgery. Bread and butter. Anybody can do it. Don't worry about it. It's outpatient surgery. Don't worry about it. Do you know how many times I've been to the doctor since that surgery? This four times, people. Four. Four times. There yesterday, getting cut open again. I'm like, Lord, please. And as I'm lying, laying there, just laying on this, I knew I was in trouble when I walked in, and I'm no longer in like, like a normal room. I've learned the system now. There's like normal rooms, and then there's procedure rooms. I got ushered right into the procedure room. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And she's like, well, just in case he wants to do something. I'm like, maybe, great. And as I'm laying there, as the doctor is like working on me, I start to wonder, God, clearly you have me here. I started thinking about Paul. I started thinking about Paul in prison. Like, what would Paul, like, what, where was Paul's mindset? Because I'm like borderline fighting back tears. And not just because of the pain, but like just the emotional, like toil of this all. I'm like, please, no more. Please. So I thought of Paul. 
God, I said to myself, God, clearly you have me coming back here multiple times. What are you up to? That was my thought. Are you trying to teach me something? I mean, I, I think he is. I have this horrible time pacing myself in life. So I'm like, okay, got it. You want me to slow down. There's got to be a better way. Or maybe you're wanting me to come back and share the gospel with somebody. I don't know. I have another follow-up next week. That's what's going through my mind. I'm like, okay, Lord, I got a fifth doctor visit coming up. If there's somebody there that I need to share the gospel with, make me aware. Put that on my heart. I did ask the doctor if I get a free cup of coffee next time. It's like, there's got to be some sort of loyalty program, right? I mean, come on. Listen, I, I know that this is not easy stuff. I know that. And I, I'm not trying to sugarcoat suffering. I know, and I know my appendix thing, like it's, it's bad for me, but it'll go away. And I know some of you are suffering. I, 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 I get it. Life is hard. Life has challenges. Oftentimes the life that we are living is, is not the script we would have written when we were like 13 years old, right? Yet, how often do we look at our situations as gospel opportunities. And I want to say this with, with all gentleness, and, I, and don't like, hear that sentence first. With, with all gentleness, I want to say this next sentence. Because there's some of you that are, that are suffering. There's some of you that are going through some hard trials. There's some of you that it's going to be a lifelong thing. I know people. I just... So, so with all gentleness, I just want to say that at times your, your suffering, your difficult situation will allow you to advance the gospel in ways that other people cannot. And I, I know that's hard. Trust me. I, I get it. But you're going to have access to people that others won't have access to. People are going to call you. People, like, people around the country that maybe know you might be like, hey, you went through this. I'm going through this now. Can you help me? Right? You have access into these people. Someone might introduce you to somebody else who's, you know, who's having a troubled time or something. You're gonna, you're, God can use you. And, and again, I get it. Suffering is called suffering, right? It's not, suffering isn't called like eating dessert. It's, it's suffering. It's, it's bad. I, so with all gentleness, I just want to say, though, that it's possible that God can use those situations and to advance the gospel. Like Paul to the Imperial Guard. If he wasn't there, I don't know that all these Imperial Guards would have heard about the gospel. But we don't have to wait for those more personal, difficult things in life. So if you're not, you know, if, well, I'm living a good life. I'm not suffering. Listen, this, this, is, this truth is true for everybody. We can look at every opportunity as an opportunity to advance the gospel. We don't have to wait for something bad to happen. Uh, how is your life during COVID season going? How have you served the God to advance the gospel these last few months? Would you say that you have modeled an example for others to follow how you lived out the gospel? The gospel message that declares that Jesus came and died for us, offering us the gift of salvation for anyone who believes by faith alone through grace alone. The gospel message that says he restored our broken relationship with our heavenly father, that he is our great high priest doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. The gospel message that says because of his death and resurrection, he has loosened the power of sin and death in our lives. He's our king, our priest, our forerunner of what is to come, and, and none of this is deserved, yet he does it anyway. 
that gospel message. As you look back over the last six to seven months, how well would you say that your life has lived to advance that gospel message? Not the add-on stuff, the pure gospel. Now I've heard some amazing stories of this taking place. I have. It's awesome. There's been some, even some organizations that like have pivoted in their mission just because like the gospel opportunities are just like flooding in because of just, just how difficult life is. More and more people are hungry for the gospel. It's, it's truly amazing. But I've also heard stories of something else being advanced. So what example are you setting for others to follow as you seek to advance the gospel? Don't be distracted by the noise in our culture today. There's a lot of noise. Don't be distracted by the noise in our culture today. Don't be distracted by the things that are just not important. In every season, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to share the good news of Jesus. In every situation, you should ask God, God, how do you want to use this to advance the gospel? That's how Paul lived his life. This is what he is modeling for his people in Rome to, to see and for the church in Philippi to hear about. And when you approach life that way, you then become an example for others to follow. When they hear of your stories, when they see you, others become more bold and less fearful to share the gospel. Make no mistake, people are watching. People are watching. They're looking at to you as an example on how to live. So this brings us to our second point. Um, Paul demonstrating the importance of living all of life for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. We talked about his example and witness. We're now going to talk about encourage, his encouragement and partnership. And these two points, really, they go hand in hand. It's important for us to remember first the context of this letter they're reading. Paul is talking about a situation about, about believers in Rome as he's writing to a church in Philippi. So, so you kind of have to remember that as you're reading this text a little bit. He says to them, I want you to know, brothers in Philippi, that what has happened here in Rome has served to advance the gospel, and that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, so in other words, look at what these believers here in Rome are doing. In the capital city of the nation that is disrupting the Christian movement, people are sharing the gospel, and the gospel is advancing. And they're doing it boldly and without fear. So as you, church in Philippi, partner with me, we together are encouraging others in our ministry to share the gospel. And from that, church in Philippi, be encouraged by all that is happening. You are the ones that are partnering with me, fellowshipping with me, koinonia-ing with me. As my gospel partner, even in my chains, hear this news and be encouraged. Though your struggles might seem impossible, as you too partner with me in this gospel advancement, take heart. The Holy Spirit is at work. This is what Paul is trying to tell these believers. While they are not physically present with Paul, he reminds them of their partnership with them. Their fellowship rooted solely in the gospel of Christ. If, if Paul can use this imprisonment to advance the gospel in this city, imagine what you can do in Philippi. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, from t you, you would have heard from time to time, we, we share stories, often from up here, sometimes there are videos online. We, we share stories about partnership opportunities that we have as a church family. 
with various organizations or individuals that are doing amazing gospel work. And, and we don't just share these stories as a, hey, FYI, check this out. Oh, isn't that neato? Um, that's not the point of these stories. No, these are meant to encourage and to strengthen you in your walk with Christ as we partner together as a church family. They're meant to spur you on to live all the life for the advancement of the gospel, seeing Christ glorified. Now, some of you support our missionaries that we have here. We have several missionaries that our church supports. Some of you are personally connected with them, or maybe you partner with another gospel-centered organization. And as a supporter, uh, this won't be a surprise. Even if you don't, I'm, you know this, right? As a supporter, you often get an update letter. They'll send a letter in the mail to you or an email nowadays. In these letters, you get to hear about the spread of the gospel. You hear about unreached people hearing the gospel for the first time in a native language, often in hostile situations. Doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that just make you feel like, man, if they can do that, I can surely share the gospel with my neighbor. That's essentially what Paul is doing for the church of Philippi. That's what he's doing. But now let me ask you this. What, what, if you, what, if, what if you took a moment to kind of write your own letter about what has happened to you? Let's just say you go back two to three months. And in this letter, uh, you included how you responded to your situations and how others then responded to how you acted. Now, would that letter encourage other believers towards gospel advancement? Would they see Christ glorified? Would they want to partner with you? It's kind of convicting. I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I think so. I hope so. But maybe not sometimes. When we live all of life for the glory of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. It serves as an encouragement for others to follow. And we're not called to do this alone. We can't do this alone. We're reminded of our need for partnership and gospel work. We we need each other to encourage each other in light of today's world. When I was in seminary, I, I had a good friend, Rick Schwartz. He's a pastor in, in Byrne, Indiana now, an amazing man of God. But Rick used to go and walk the mall um, every week, and he'd talk to the kiosk workers, and he'd share the gospel with them. And I, I was like, man, this is interesting. I've never done anything like this before. So I asked him if I can go with him, because uh, I just, I knew it was something I should do. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't I don't feel courageous. I don't feel really like gifted this way. But watching Rick, just watching the way that he shared the gospel, the way that he weaved it into conversations, the way he loved, man, he loved on these people. He would follow up on conversations from weeks back. It was just amazing. And watching him do that gave me courage so that after a few weeks, I was leading in the conversations. That's what partnership is all about. That's what we do. When we do that, we encourage one another to advance the gospel. Think again about Paul's situation. If imprisonment and Roman guards cannot stop the gospel from advancing, what in your life can? Let this example encourage you to share the gospel and trust that God's word will not return void. So who is one person? Who's one person in your life that you can share the gospel with? There must be one. I want to encourage you to pursue that. And when you do, tell your friends. Invite your friends in, your family. Invite them in to partner with you, even just through prayer. 
And then once you actually share the gospel with it, tell them how that went. Tell them about it. Because you know why? That encourages them to do the same. And do you know what happens when that, when, when you do that? The gospel advances. We need each other. Live life in such a way that others get to partner with you and be encouraged by your ministry. Now, our last couple that we're going to look at is, is through rivalry and conceit. Now, these last few verses, 15 to 18, are probably somewhat familiar to some of you. There are two really important points here I want to highlight. First is, my, my guess is that what stands out to you most, um, most often as you're reading this is, is the exact same verse that kind of hit me in the forehead, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul is able to rejoice in this situation because the gospel is advancing. That is his focus and mission in life. And, and this is a, tr- a, really, this is a core truth for us. We, we need to hear this, we, and we need to take this away with us today. Paul essentially says, I do not matter. Only Jesus does. And when the gospel advances, I rejoice. It doesn't matter about the circumstance. When the gospel advances, we rejoice. Regardless of how you might feel personally, when the gospel advances, we rejoice. Despite opposition, the gospel advances, we rejoice. Now, conceptually, this is really easy to agree to, right? I mean, yeah, we, sure, yeah, that makes sense. But when you are the victim of these situations, it is hard to stay focused on the gospel advancement. When someone gets credit for something that you did, right? When someone steps in an area that maybe you're serving in and becomes you know, more loved or, or more esteemed, or even just seeing somebody maybe have more ministry success than you, in these situations, it can be hard to stay focused on gospel advancement. And this is true in ministry, and this is true in life at large. So Paul is modeling some really thick skin here for us, and he's reminding us of his singular focus. But when we find ourselves in these situations, we have to really lean into the Holy Spirit for strength. We do. We have to remember our right standing before God. We have to remember that Jesus sees us, he knows us, and he loves us. We have to remember that ministry is not about us. It's all about the gospel advancing. Now, this can be easier said than done, for sure. It's easy to to say, focus on the gospel when you're not in these situations. I I, I get it. All I can say is, give yourself grace. It's probably going to be a growth opportunity for many of us. These are hard situations. You might not always do it perfectly, but, but lean in, lean into Jesus. Don't react. Don't send that email. Don't say what's racing through your mind. Do a heart check. Because it's really easy to move from this positive example from Paul into this second group of people that we need to talk about. So our second point is really, who are these people? Because I I, I find it intriguing that Paul takes up so much space in these three verses to describe these these people. He, He says these are the ones preaching from envy, from rivalry. They're proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, trying to inflict Paul and his imprisonment and those who operate out of pretense. So six things there. 
that he's using to describe this group of people. That's a long description compared to the people who preach out of goodwill, out of love, and in truth. It's a two-to-one ratio. I don't think we should be so fast to, to race to the end because it's really easy to just race to the end. Be like, ah, as long as the gospel advances, that's all that matters. I want to spend a few moments talking about this group of people because who's Paul referring to? This is what really stood out to me. These are not people outside the church. These are not the pluralistic thinkers in Rome that are coming in and trying to challenge Paul. That is not who these people are. These are fellow believers. So Paul was referring to them in verse 14. Notice they're preaching the gospel. Jesus is being glorified such that Paul can rejoice. So a good guess, we don't know, but a good guess is these might be the believers that started the church in Rome. So before Paul gets there, they're there starting church, and then Paul comes, all right? I mean, you can't touch Paul, right? You're going to be jealous of Paul. It's Paul. I mean, come on. There's some envy. There's some jealousy. We, we don't know for sure. That's probably a pretty good guess as to who these people are. But what's important is that we don't confuse this group with people outside of the church. We don't comp- confuse this group with others that Paul is going to talk about later in this book and other places. There, Paul will address those outside the church. He'll talk through godly living as opposed to what the surrounding culture tempts us to. Here, he is pointing out some fellow believers some fellow believers that are advancing the gospel in Rome, but who are also trying to knock Paul down. This is an intra-church matter. Yikes. Yes, Paul rejoices. But as your pastor, let me just say, don't run so quick to that. That's, that's the easy takeaway. One commentator said they were doctrinally orthodox, but at the same time, mean and selfish using the occasion of Paul's confinement to promote themselves because they were envious of Paul. They stirred up discord within the Christian community, within their church, and hoped to gain a larger following for themselves. If people need to tear down Paul as they spread the gospel, he's willing to rejoice. The brother's amazing. That's his sole purpose in life. See Christ glorified. But before we emphasize that rejoicing, I think we all need to do a little bit of a heart check here. Maybe go back through the last few weeks. Go back through those last, I don't know, two life group meetings. Pick a number. Go back to when you were worshiping here and someone was up here leading in some capacity that caused your thoughts to start to wander. How often do we advance the gospel with one hand while simultaneously trying to tear somebody else down? How often are we quick to offer the Christian advice that really just isn't sought after? Or how often do we start sentences like, man, he's a really nice guy and I love him, but how often do we do that? Or perhaps even some of us just make direct opinionated statements done out of love, right? Our hearts are prone to wander and the sins of selfishness, envy, rivalry, they will tempt us. My guess is that some of us are guilty of this in some fashion. Now, we're probably not overt as these people. I mean, it sounds as if these people are just like outright bashing Paul. We're probably not that way in our culture, in our society. We, we probably tend to use safe circles, right? We're much more subtle, maybe a little more package in our attempts to knock somebody down. 
But I think as we examine our hearts, we'll find that we're most prone to this when we have this sense of feeling of insecurity, when we realize that we are not as important as we think we are or we think we should be, when we are struggling for power or control, when we compare ourselves to others, when someone gets credit for our work, when someone has more success than us, or even just straight out of the heart of jealousy. And then couple that with this environment that we live in now. In today's culture, people are probably more opinionated than they've ever been at any time. And there's such strong opinions about everything. We all think we have the correct view on things. Satan is just sitting there, just waiting. He's waiting to bait us. He's waiting for us to fall into these traps. He's looking for opportunities to divide the church, to stain the bride of Christ. Yes, Jesus is king. Hallelujah. But that guy over there is really messed up. Oh, that person is leading fill in the blank, any ministry. Praise Jesus. But did you know that guy? as we seek to advance the gospel and glorify Jesus in all aspects of our life, I think we all need to do a heart check and really just examine our motives. Or as Don Carson, he's a, he's a theologian, author, scholar. He said, all of us must ask, in what fashion am I confessing the centrality of the gospel? I love that. In what fashion am I confessing the centrality, the centrality of the gospel? When we behave like this, when the, when the gospel may be advancing on one hand, the Christian witness, the example, the encouragement and partnership is just utterly destroyed. Yes, we can rejoice the gospel advances, but wouldn't it be better if we didn't destroy relationships in doing so? This is a heart check moment for us, church. Honestly, for all of us. Yes, this is true of maybe the American church at large. We can, right, got it. Maybe even right now you're sitting there like, oh yeah, I think he's talking about this guy. (laughs) And we're good at doing that. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me right now. And especially right now before we take communion. The gospel message is too beautiful to be stained by our selfish ambitions. Paul's example of thick skin is great. When we are the victims of these situations, if the gospel is advancing, we can, we can look and rejoice. Maybe even we just need to pray for that strength. I know it's not easy. But when we are the perpetrators of these situations, when we are the ones acting as these believers, remember, these are believers in the church. When we're acting as these believers, that even in subtle, sneaky ways, we need to repent. We need to cry out to the Holy Spirit to help us in these spiritual battle moments. We need to actively invite God into our hearts to explore our heart. Before you respond, in whatever way you think you're going to respond, before you, the situation happens and you just want to respond, you want to send that email, you want to make that statement, you want to, whatever it is, just take a moment. We're talking about the church, the bride of Christ. That's what we're talking about. Take a deep breath and breathe. And as you exhale, say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Proclaim that to yourself first and see what that does in your heart. 
only then, only then will you be able to rightly advance the gospel and glorify Christ. As I just alluded to, we're, we're going to transition now to communion. Communion is not meant to be simply just checking a box. This isn't just meant to be something that, we just, that you just do. That's, that's not what communion is all about. Communion is about the remembrance of Jesus' death and resurrection. It is a gospel advancement moment. It's offered to all who believe with their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's who is invited in to take communion. But let me encourage you, don't take this lightly. As we normally do, we're going we're gonna to give you a few moments to sit, sit by yourselves. We're going to have some music playing in the background. I want to encourage you, invite the Holy Spirit in during this time. Have him search your heart and search your thoughts. Search your motives. Go back through your week. There might be some sins in there that you, just, that you need to repent, that you need to confess. Perhaps there's another believer that you need to just reconcile with. Perhaps you're just not in a place to take communion today, and that is okay. It's a very God-honoring thing to make that decision. And honestly, nobody will know. But use this time as a sacred moment between you and God before we move to communion.